testing. One, two, one, two. Come in, Mario, so you, come you, in. You, 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 I feel you're leaning that we'll hit all-time highs before the halving. You seem to be leaning there every every day that passes. Uh, just it's based on you. You haven't said it. You said you're not sure, but based on your tone and your your energy. Mario, I'm quite impressed that you actually watch every single one of my shows. I do. I watch you and Scott because, unfortunately, uh, um, you're the two best sources of information on the web. That's how sh how 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 behind crypto is, unfortunately. But who's better, me or Scott? Uh, it depends on my mood. If I'm in a good mood, I listen to you. If I'm in a bad mood, it just pisses your energy pisses me off. So I listen to Scott more. That's that's a very interesting. My energy. Yeah. So the, the, today, today, today. Yeah. To, well, I mean, today you're talking a, a new wife money. Is, is, that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, new wife. New wife. <laughs> it's, it's called wife changing money. <laughs> Wife changing money. I just so I had to fast forward a few parts today, man. It's just, I have to admit, but you it was don't a good like, show. You don't like the, the wife changing money. <laughs> no, I don't mind. Scott's, I'm not married, so I'm chill. Scott's wife also hated it when I used that. Uh, Amy, Scott's wife, she hated when I talk about it. Amy would kill you if if he's. Yeah, she, yeah. She, 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 I mean, she hates me when I when I say that. Has she tweeted? Has she tweeted about husband changing money or not yet? No, but you see, so if you read Andrew Tate, I don't know if you saw on my show, I, 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 I did, I did, yeah. An Andrew Tate tweet, which says something, yeah, I'm going to try to find the tweet again. It says, it was on I, love lines that yeah, I love you, I love you, baby, you're irreplaceable, and then in brackets it says, at my current income. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that, then you need life-changing money, you know what I mean? Then that's, you need to make life-changing money. So, so uh, when the when the market peaks, there's a lot of divorces because people are just replacing wives, yes, upgrading, yes, and then yes, when the market dumps, what you're saying is when the market dumps, people divorce because they have to downgrade again. Correct. So I would say probably fifty percent. I'd say fifty percent of all divorces are market dependent, either too uh, too high or too low. Friend, I know this is not true, but it'd be, it'd be funny if like you were on wife number six, as you're saying. This is the third third bull market. I'm, wife I'm, number six. I'm on wife number yeah, one. I'm on wife yeah, number no. one. Yeah, okay. um, but yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you kick off the show, man. I actually enjoyed today's show. You, you kind of going through exploring the the possibility that this will be a shorter bull market and will be peaking a lot sooner than previous bull markets. We kind of skipped a few steps, and I'd be curious, Tim. I'm not sure if you discussed it. And you tried and watch the whole thing on on why you think that's the case. So there's a whole lot of signs that are telling us that this this is a much more vicious cycle. Things are happening much earlier in the cycle, much quicker. Like the pre-halving rally came, like you know, starting to come very early in the in the in the thing. Um, there's a lot of a lot of other signs. I, I covered them on my show today. Um, but I think the one thing we should all be prepared for is that we should be prepared for a shorter bull market because everyone's like thinking, oh, you know, one year after the halving, and this is how it's always going to happen. But what if it doesn't actually work out like that, and it's actually a much shorter bull market? And if you look at the charts. We have had the break, the, the breakup, which we usually have, you know, slightly later in the cycle. We've had that very early. And from that point, the rally actually starts to get really aggressive. And the, what, I, what I spoke about mainly on my show was I spoke about uh, uh, people that are sitting on the sidelines and waiting to buy the dip. And I kind of said, yeah, look, that's a good strategy. The problem is at this point in the bull market, if we are in the aggressive part of the bull market, waiting for the dip is a really bad strategy because the token goes up 50% and then you get a 10% dip or 20% dip. You still missed out on the 50% uh, on the fifty upside. And chances are at this part of the rally, at this part of the cycle, 
you ain't getting another chance to get back in. So my, my, my advice to people was to say, um, if you're not in, get in. Don't go all in, but get in quickly so at least you, you've got some skin in the game. Um, and then DCA quite quickly. You've got to accelerate your DCA. And then, uh, and then if you want to like, if you want to, if you want to top up, top up along the way, but, but make sure that you're in the game because if you're sitting here waiting for the dip and the dip doesn't come, you've got a big problem. Then you're the indicator then I look at. One other indicator that I look at is just the, the kind of looking at the altcoin market. It's looking at new token launches. They're generally another one of one of many indicators to show how frothy the market is. And at the peak of the bull market, you got tokens launching every day. You got a couple launching at over 10x every single day. And that's at the peak, peak at the frothiest stage of the last bull market. Now we're sitting, and I'm just going through the different token launches, and we're invested in a bunch of them. So, so we're pretty involved in that space. And I think Ryan, you're, you're pretty involved as well. Um, but you're sitting at, you know, in the last, we had a 10x on the 23rd of Feb. What are we today? So three days ago, there was a 10x. Then there was a 20x called Forgotten Playland at 21st of Feb. And then you've got, obviously, you have Pixels that did a, over 100x. That was last week. We got Octavia that did on 19th of Feb, did a, about a 10x and 9x on IDO above 10x for private seed. Um, and you've just got uh, you got Portal coming in in a few days, which we'll be talking a lot about. Um, and that, for me, that shows an indicator that we're one coming up now, which I'm very excited about. It's called um, Beeple, B-E-O-B-L-E dot I-O. And what they do is they're a chat app between wallets. So if you want to chat to someone else who holds a wallet, you can actually chat to another wallet holder. You're in, uh, you're part of that one? Yeah, we, we are invested in it. Very excited about it. I think it's, like, it's going to be one of the one yeah. of the yeah, I saw, I saw it in our groups. When is it launching? Uh, 28, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I'm just checking our group for today. But yeah, so just kind of, just another indicator that we, we're, like things are moving a lot faster than expected. But I never thought of the, the, the other side of this the argument is that, yeah, but that also means that the market could be a lot shorter. Yeah. Than previous bull markets. I think I think in one of the spaces, I don't know who mentioned it, but it's usually the market peaks about what a year and a half after the halving or my way off? About uh, a year, about five hundred about five hundred days after halving, you're right. Um yes, yeah, I'm just uh, checking about the the people. How, how do you spell it again? I just want to check uh, it in the group then we'll go to the B-E-O-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-E-B-L-
Mike, uh, you you, ha- you were making a very different argument in previous shows, and you were a lot more bearish on the markets. Has that sentiment changed, seeing what you're seeing now with the ETF? And, and just so for anyone keeping up with the ETF numbers, the inflows are over 200 million, I think 226 million dollars worth of inflows today. So uh, the numbers are still looking good. I think we only had one day of outflows in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, so more and more positive indicators. Um, Mike, your thoughts? Um, I, in the big picture, obviously, obviously it's hard to be bearish Bitcoin with the mining, defining, defini- you know, defined, diminishing supply, increasing demand and adoption. But let's look like we have to look forward to now compared to last year. At this time last year, the S&P 500 was about a 20% discount from its all-time highs, and Bitcoin was hovering pretty cheap, around 20 grand. Now, we have pretty extreme, you know, highest prices ever in stock market, pretty extreme levels, lots of bullishness, and we've passed the point of something to look forward to. Now, all we have is a halving, and that's over in April. So those two key factors of what to look forward to, discounted prices in beta, um, look forward to the, the ETFs, which came and produced a great return in, in GBTC. Now it's just, okay, well, maybe we'll make a new high before the halving. And what's the think about the hangover after the halving? You have to kind of hope and expect Bay to continue higher. And this is one thing that really struck me about what Rand said. We saw each other um, early on, I think it was last year at the Bitcoin conference, how the Nikkei was heading towards a new high. Now, that's the key thing to remember here is we still are looking at a high beta uh, highly speculative asset. And um, I like to look at it compared to the S&P 500. People are getting really bullish on Bitcoin. But you look at right now, the volatility in Bitcoin is around 2.5 times that S&P 500. In the past, it's been closer to six or seven. We have to tilt over towards what's happening here. This is a maturing asset. And we should not expect performance like we have in the past. So I look at it as... Um, if we can see some divergence strength with the stock market going down, that would be a major paradigm shift. But right now, it's just all risk assets are going up and Bitcoin's among the riskiest and it's, it's going up. But you got to be careful, though. I kind of take a little more of a 30,000 foot view of the space. And just the as an ex-trader, you look at it I'm like, OK, I see extreme bullishness versus a year ago is extreme bearishness. So just have to insert that caution in the space. Talk about the asset class maturing. There, there was an argument made, and we're kind of seeing that materializing now. Is that uh, TradFi is just as degen as as uh, crypto community is. Like they're gonna want to be part of these uh, potentially these token launches. They'd want to be part of pumps. They'd want to be part of the ecosystem. And they're not as conservative or level minded. Um, they're going to be FOMOing like the rest of us. And I've kind of seen that in the last bull market. I remember a lot of people from TradFi would reach out to me and say, hey, Mario, how, how can we get involved? And I'm seeing it even more in this bull market, even though it's only been a, a few weeks of complete out-frothiness. Mike? Um, I, I think you have to be a little careful of that. Because one thing I do point out, point out was it was end of 2023, where I heard some TradFi hot money people speak to me about you know, X kind of uh, distressed debt people looked at GBTC as just an ideal distressed debt trade. That that whole area is gone. And then you look at any of the alts, okay, Ethereum has something to look forward to. ETHE is still at a decent discount. And it's going to, at some point, there'll be ETFs. And sometimes there'll be ETFs tracking the whole space. So that's what's going there. Bitcoin doesn't have that as anymore. It has a digital gold version. But one thing we have to be careful about, I think, is TradFi and anything other than Bitcoin and Ethereum, which does have a, a yield, which is very attractive to your traditional equity people, 
is the massive amount of speculative excess, as you see in all the alts. I like to say, first of all, there was Bitcoin in 10,000 um, wannabes, and then there was 20,000 wannabes. Now there's 30,000 wannabes. Okay, maybe there's 10 that really matter. And those are great for the traders, the hot funny, hot money. And if you consider hedge funds TradFi, I don't really. I think they're just hot money looking for anything that goes up and can make money long or short. Let's just be careful there. But for the key thing also remember about here is for now we're in the early days we have the um you know we have the the having to look forward to and just put yourselves like into june when we start focusing on um will we ever see the effects of these rate hikes picking in the market here's one thing i want to point i like to point out in commodities they were their own worst enemy particularly you look at crude oil and copper and corn and all that. Now we're seeing a little bit of an own worst enemy in the stock market. Every time the stock market goes up, all the easing that was priced in the market goes away. So if it keeps marching and staying here, there's no reason to expect that liquidity pump to come from the Fed, which is something you really have to be cognizant in things like Bitcoin and speculative assets. So I'm very careful. Long term, obviously bullish, but just have to submit very circumspect, very careful at these levels, because what we're seeing is that high price cure is not really the case in Bitcoin, but it certainly is in the stock market because of Fed elite. Dave? Dave, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I couldn't tell. Um, yeah, the last line that Mike said was is actually the thesis. Uh, I think that you have to. I don't. I don't want to be go all Bitcoin maxi on people, but the fact is, you have to look at what's going on with Bitcoin differently. I mean, normally in the cycle, we would be heavily into alt season right now, right? You know, Bitcoin's you know stalls out after a, after a rally and kind of gently falls as the hot money rotates into everything everything else. And but that's actually not happening. And why isn't it happening? Well, it's not happening because the narrative has changed. You know, we keep talking about Bitcoin and we look at the volatility, we look at a lot of other measures. But remember, you know, the fact is, is, you know, you, you talk about, you know, Mark Yesko does this much more eloquently than I would. But the fact is the supply demand dynamic. And if you just look at a simple stat, the, the easiest one to understand, look at the the all time high, the price of Bitcoin divided by the, the you know, exahashes of the of, of the uh, of the Bitcoin hash rate. Uh, right now, it, we are at least 75% by any measure below the all-time high, 75% because the network is that much stronger. And, the, and at the same time, we literally are seeing the initial stages of opening up the investment of Bitcoin to uh, – the rest of the world's money, you know, if for lack of a better world. Now, it takes a lot of time. And we have the marketing departments of some of the biggest asset managers in the world pounding the table on this story. To make the argument that, that you know, we have to look at past cycles to see where it could go in this cycle is, you know, it's problematic. I mean, you know, as a quant, when I look at, it, at something that's happened three times, we have three observations of cycles. You know, that's just not statistically significant. So I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen. I think that the one thing we can depend upon is what Mike was saying, is you're going to see hot money speculation in waves, which over, overgoes, overdoes it on the upside and then overdoes it on the downside on a lot of assets. Bitcoin is in a very interesting situation because the truth of the matter is the upside for Bitcoin is literally, you know, at a minimum gold, and and that's like a ten x from here. So you know, when you're we're basically shorting Bitcoin at this point, feels like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. Doesn't necessarily. Dave, this, what, what, feels like. 
But there's one thing you're saying is that you're not seeing that rotation that happened in previous uh, bull markets. Again, I'm not a person that watches the markets, watches the charts, especially not the last market. Just looking at the market now and, and uh, you know, we've got the agenda here and the team's writing Bitcoin is consolidating. And on, on the other hand, we can see the alt enjoying a massive bull run. I'm looking at banter bubbles. Uh, right. No, no, I, I, Mario, you got it wrong. Everything in it. I mean, you got me. You, you quoted me wrong. I We are seeing the rotation of the hot money, but at the same time, new money is coming in, and that's why Bitcoin is doing what it's doing. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we aren't seeing the rotation. Okay, so, makes sense. So, so essentially what we're seeing, we're seeing a rotation of the crypto. Hunter seems to agree, a rotation of the crypto money um, from, from Bitcoin to alts, but then we're seeing traditional money still coming to Bitcoin, which makes it different to previous uh, previous bull markets, correct? All right, it, cool. It, Got 100%. Exactly. Uh, Hunter, I'd love your, your take on this. Seems you agree with Dave. <clears throat> hey, and maybe how do you can expand and like what does that really mean for the market? So is that, does that mean like we'll, we'll see both Bitcoin and alts do well together? Um, if we continue yeah. seeing that rotation as well as new money coming into Bitcoin, and do we expect that new money to also rotate, Hunter? Great, great, great question. And uh, it's awesome to be with you all and uh, agree with. Working. Otherwise, I'll go to to Sean or Dave again. Um, can uh, Can you hear me all right? All right, Hunter, your, your mic isn't working, Dave. Since you, you've done, made that Mario, point. Mario, 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 we can all hear him. You, you can't hear him. Oh, okay, okay, we, we okay. my bad. Okay, all right, cool. Great. Well, uh, it's great to be with you all. Agree with Dave and, and Mike, and, and fantastic to be with this uh, with this group. Um, I, I would say an, a, a mental model that, that uh, I find useful for the Bitcoin ETFs is a little bit like Bitcoin IPOing. You know, if you think about uh, private companies, Facebook back in the day or Uber back in the day, um, you know, it's only a, a, a subset of the market that was able to get access to buy shares of those companies. Um, and then when they IPO, the gross tonnage of investors that can suddenly participate and vote on the right way of valuing those things just completely changes. And, you know, so, so when, when Dave said we've had three cycles, um, but the market structure here has kind of changed. And I, I think Mike touched on this too. I think that that's, that's what's now happened for Bitcoin, um, which is that the market participants that typically express the views that moved the price in prior cycles are now just a subset of the much broader capital market that is able to access it. So I think that we, everyone has to sort of be on their, their toes and open to the possibility that the way Bitcoin will move going forward um, is going to, going to be different here. I'll, gi I'll give you an example of a dynamic that um, will likely be new. Uh, in the US, the wealth management uh, segment manages over $20 trillion. And by and large, 88% in our, in our survey, we run a survey every year, we put out our most recent one in January, 88% uh, said they were waiting for a Bitcoin ETF to allocate to the space. So this audience, you know, on the heels of Bitcoin's IPO, so to speak, the launch of Bitcoin ETFs can now participate for the first time. This audience uh, does rebalancing in a pretty disciplined fashion. And what that means is that if Bitcoin drops 30%, they'll buy more uh, to uh, rebalance to their target allocation level. So if their target allocation level is 2%, Bitcoin's down, they'll buy more to bring it back up. And conversely, uh, if Bitcoin runs uh, a ways, they may take some money off the table. That is a very large capital base that is going to treat market moves differently and will either have a small or medium or, or a large impact on how the price of Bitcoin evolves. 
but is new and different than uh, uh, prior cycles where that uh, that segment was not was not participating. So I think that that's an example of how uh, you know people should be open minded to forgetting what we know from prior cycles um, and the possibility that with the much broader set of capital markets that has access now, uh, things will move um, a bit differently. Uh, I, I, I'm incredibly constructive on Bitcoin this year. I think uh, our CIO's price target or prediction was uh, 80,000 by the end of the year. I think last week, uh, Bitcoin ETFs bought over 11,000 Bitcoin and miners mined about 6,000, and that's pre-halving. Um, of course, it's only a component of the market. But um, I think that uh, just the the access, the the size of the capital markets that can now access Bitcoin um, are very significant. And the uptake that we've seen uh, of these Bitcoin ETFs is historic. People may be already aware of this, but uh, 5.5 billion in net inflows in six or seven weeks um, is historic uh, relative to the 30 year history of ETFs. Uh, investors don't sort of clear their schedules. Um, they'll be working in uh, over the course of, of many months. Last week, uh, people may have seen the, the headline in Bloomberg that a large uh, wealth management platform called Carson Group uh, approved the Bitwise ETF and, uh, and three others. Um, and that's just happening now in February. And that approval means that advisors over the next few months can, uh, can put in exposure. And that's an early mover in the wealth management side. So uh, I think that you're going to have this drumbeat of um, uh, wealth management firms engaging with the space over the course of this year. And then zooming out, I think, uh, again, the much broader set of capital market participants uh, means that the patterns may change a bit. And, and of course, I would also add to that, you know, there are a number of, of players that got wiped out in 2022, uh, be it platforms or uh, hedge funds um, that, you know, contributed to uh, the patterns of, of prior cycles are not present for this cycle. So I think we all just have to be open-minded to, to how the patterns will emerge. I don't know if that addresses your, uh, your question, but I hope that's, uh, that's uh, some helpful commentary. I think the idea that, that, you know, you started your part of the conversation with is, you know, Bitcoin as an IPO. Um, that's a really constructive way to look at it while at the same time, it's almost as if a Bitcoin IPO is almost rolling out in stages. For example, you just minute, you know, mentioned Carson and his the scale of his RIA as it relates to you know giving access to their clients and and, and their their platform uh, of the Bitcoin ETFs. Same thing with with Edelman, who I think is right at around thirty billion. Those are enormously progressive RIAs. Who are looking to stay ahead of the curve of the rest of the wealth management industry and generally do things like that while at the same time uh, you know the larger part i'd say at this point you're talking about 50 to 60 percent of wealth management management organizations have done one of two things they either haven't made a decision so it's still not available or the decision that they have made is that it's basically a, a bit of a restricted product um, where it can't be actively marketed um, by advisors right now. They can, you know, customers can still buy um, the Bitcoin ETFs in some places within wealth management, but it has to be marked as unsolicited and it can't be actively marketed. That will change, right? So Carson and Edelman 
um, being ahead of the curve um, is kind of um, that's expected within wealth management because those those are guys that um, have stayed on the cutting edge for years and why their organizations are so big and they're thought leaders. While at the same time, um, wealth management moves at a slower pace. That slower pace, though, will continue to serve Bitcoin as an asset because every week and every month and every quarter, there will be a new entry um, of a totality of assets that now will have access to Bitcoin ETFs. And I, in a lot of ways, we've seen that in the price stability over the past month, month and a half, right? Generally speaking, when Bitcoin would make a move from 40K to 52 or 53, there would be these snapbacks or these overnight Asian markets would dump or whatever would happen. So much of that has gone, has vanished. Um, and it's, it's pretty remarkable to watch the, the um, uh, kind of getting out of the adolescent stage um, of Bitcoin and, and moving into, um, you know, adulthood um, in the financial markets is, is pretty mar- remarkable to watch. I think that's a, a, a great, a great point. And, and just to build on that for one second, I think when we think about catalysts uh, in, in Bitcoin and other assets, uh, for all of us who've been in the space for a long time, uh, we tend to look at the sort of crypto native ecosystem. So, you know, the Bitcoin having or some, uh, some upgrade or soft fork or uh, this or that. I think that uh, RCIO calls this cycle the mainstream, the mainstream cycle. And to your point, Andrew, um, what might be as important as a catalyst is when one of the wirehouse banks uh, approves uh, unrestricted access as uh, any development amongst the exchanges, which historically would have been the important sort of area to look. So I think that your your mental model that there will sort of be a, a drumbeat of uh, access expanding over the course of the year is, is really well, salient. Think about it this way. Um, you know, UBS as an organization is the largest wealth manager on the globe, right? Now, that's a little bit nuanced, right? From an asset standpoint, they're talking about assets that are managed from a wealth management standpoint, not assets that are in a money market account. But they are the biggest money manager on the planet. And they've yet to approve um, the you know Bitcoin ETFs. At some point, they will. And at some point, the fact that they're the largest global wealth manager will find its way into sizable portfolios inside of that organization. Inside the United States, and more importantly, outside the United States, their private wealth management platform is filled with incredible amount of assets, an incredible amount of you know huge accounts, 10 million, 50 million, 200 million. Um, you know, I, my TradFi background, I know inside of their private wealth portion of their business, you know, they have you know hundreds of people working in family office type of uh, setups to when somebody does has a portfolio review and they've got a hundred million long with the firm. There's 17 people inside of that conference room looking at that, you know, one family's account, right? Contributing to to how are they going to allocate capital? So once you know the Bitcoin ETFs are available on those types of platforms, again, we're talking about you know asset injections. Um, that are going to be substantial, like really substantial. Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to chime in here. Go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, I want to chime in because I'm, I'm, I've got a slightly different take, I guess, um, you know, than Andrew and previous speakers a little bit in that, you know, I, I still think we're, you know, we're, we're not at the mainstream cycle, I don't think. I, I think we're still at the very, very, very beginning. Uh, to me, crypto, Bitcoin is still like the Internet was uh, before we got the browser. You know, the Internet had been around 25 years, but, you know, the number of people who actually used it, you know, was really small until, you know, we got the browser and it became much easier to use. And then, you know, every day now for 30 years, the number of websites has been growing dramatically. So just on, on that question before you continue, are you referring to adoption, mainstream adoption from a utility perspective? Or yeah, I'm referring to mainstream adoption. You can, you can walk down the street, you know, and in any major city, and you can run into dozens of people before you find somebody, you know, say maybe going to Vietnam. You know, I'm in Denver today. I bet you I can, you know, walk into 20 people and none of them own Bitcoin because it's too hard. None of them understand it. Um, you know, so I, to me, we're still in the you know, very, very, very early stages, um, you know, of, of all of crypto. And we'll look back at this and, you know, I've, I've you know, was a former Wall Street analyst. I've only put out two price targets in 20 plus years, but I put out a 10 year price target of a million dollars on Bitcoin in January of 2021. And so that's all I'm doing is kind of looking around, seeing everything that's going on. We know the institutions are going to come today, tomorrow. You know, they're coming. We all know this. Um, you know, and as they come, as more people come, you know, it, pretty sure you know, more people are going to come, whether they're individuals or institutions tomorrow than today. And so I think anybody who takes a long term, um, you know, a, a long term perspective on this is, is going to crush it. And if you're trading, you know, uh, you know take some chips off the table <laughs> as it goes up. <laughs> Two questions, because remember, I missed most of what Hunter said because my connection was playing up. So I can hear what Hunter has said. If you had to ask a question, you're welcome to jump in and answer it after Lou again as well. Um, but the first question is, do you think with, with as mainstream starts to enter the market, will we move away from crypto narratives such as the halving, for example, the, the pre-halving dump, pre-halving rally, post-halving rally? Um, could we see a shift away from that? Uh, and then the second question is, um, then with, with where you think we're at now, what do you think that means for Bitcoin? What do you think that means for alts as well? You know, I think, you know, alts are going to sky. I agree with it. I think every bubble that we get is bigger than the, the previous bubble. You know, I, I, I have a word that I use to describe the tendency of markets to swing between bubbles and crash and bubble again. I call that capitalism. That's what it does. Um, and that's all it does. And, and the weird thing about it is there's no signal to it. It's like the sun going up and down. There's no signal to the sun going up and down. It's just what it does. You can't really make money off of it. Um, you know, and so if you're going to play the alts, you know, to me, alts are like playing craps. You know, with certainty, every crap game ends with the seven. You know, every bubble ends with a crash. And so if you're playing alts, you just have to take you know, money off the table, you know, as they're going up and up. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go to uh, oh, Andrew. I think you just cut out. Hunter, I wanted to go to you and then Andrew and Terrence. Um, just I missed a lot of what you said earlier, um, so uh, which is a shame. But I'm not sure if you gave an overview as well on the ETF performance. It's, it's always good to have someone from Bitwise. Been almost every space over the last couple of weeks, someone from Bitwise is on stage. We really appreciate that transparency, that communication. But how is the ETF performance so far? Because obviously people are not talking about it as much, but it's still probably the most important thing in the in the in the ecosystem right now. 
Yeah, uh, a- absolutely. Um, uh, we, you know, we, we we try to be present members of the, the community. So always always fun to to be on with the with this group. Um, uh, the Bitcoin ETFs have, have raised five point five billion in net inflows, and in, I think we're in the seventh week now. Um, uh, somebody could correct me on that. Uh, last week uh, raised over uh, five hundred million in uh, in. Uh, net inflows bought uh, eleven over uh, eleven thousand Bitcoin, uh, which compares to six thousand that were newly mined. Um, so I think we're seeing very very strong uptake. Uh, Andrew kind of hit on this, but uh, a fascinating element. You know, uh, Mario, I, I provided this analogy of Bitcoin IPOing, and uh, in prior cycles, it being hard to get access as an investor, and, and now suddenly, you know, any investor uh, can can participate. I think a point that Andrew made that we're seeing um, is there is a lot of work being done by traditional investors uh, sort of quietly that will um, uh, come in at sort of what appears to be random moments. Uh, You know, uh, Carson Group announced uh, approving access last week. People may or may not have known. Um, I sometimes try to try to tweet things out um, when we see things, but people may or may not have known that 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 uh, was in the works. There's um, a very large bank that is working on approving solicited access. Uh, that'll you know that'll happen sometime in the coming weeks and months. Um, there's a very large mutual fund complex that is now doing homework on if they can put the Bitcoin ETFs into their mutual funds. Um, so I think that there's this drumbeat of uh, adoption that will will play out now um, because of the access that the Bitcoin ETFs are. Uh, creating um, already, the inflows have been quite substantial relative to ETFs, uh, and I think that these that these things have legs. Again, I, I mentioned before, but we do a survey of advisors um, every year, and uh, at the beginning of this year, we published the most recent. Eighty eight percent said that they were waiting for a Bitcoin ETF to allocate in space, and and maybe um, uh, just as surprising or or not surprising to people. I think something like sixty percent did not expect it to get approved this year. So uh, oh, wow. I think yeah, that's 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 the report by Juan, who, who's been on stage a few times talking about it. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, one one is a, a research analyst. Juan, here. He's, he's fantastic, and so we put out this uh, this survey every year, and and that that stat you know was was fascinating to me. So what that means is a lot of traditional investors who are interested in the space just didn't even think it would happen in January. Um, and what does that mean? It means that it, it's just going to take some time for, for people to get around to doing something with these Bitcoin ETFs. But I, I, definitely what we're seeing is that there's demand. And I think there's very long legs. And I think we're in the early innings of, of adoption through, through, uh, through the Bitcoin ETFs. If you, if you look at gold, just to add one other new thought. Uh, so Mario, that's some of what I, what I had mentioned before. Just to add one other new thought on this front. Um, the first gold ETF in the US launched in 2004 uh, that was GLD. And uh, prior to that, gold had chopped around a bit. And, and Mike might be one of the most knowledgeable people on the planet about the, the history of uh, gold and other commodity assets. So Mike, you can you can correct me on any of this, but gold chopped around a fair amount. Um, and after the introduction of the gold ETF, uh, it was up for 10 years. And uh, the gold ETF, similar, I think, to the Bitcoin ETF, made it possible for a much broader set of market participants to, to invest uh, in gold and put it in portfolios. And it just takes some time for that to play out. And so I think that the Bitcoin ETF similarly um, are a very durable and will take a, a fair amount of time, but be a significant new 
market participant um, that is uh, helping us discover uh, the right price for Bitcoin and and uh, and buying into the space. I can piggyback. Just to confirm, yeah, you're right. One thing that's notable about gold, you're very robotic. You've gone robotic. One thing that's notable about gold ETFs um, is we've never seen a period since the first gold ETFs were launched in 2004, which is 20 years ago, of gold um, ETF outflows and the price going up. So there is clear evidence that some of those gold ETF outflows are tilting towards Bitcoin ETF inflows. I mean, it's hard to um, argue that. Um, so I, I don't see that as being anything but bullish for Bitcoin at the moment. In the big picture, I just want to see how um, what gold has to look forward to is at some point um, we'll see some a pivot from the Fed. And we're not getting that. But it also has the deep, po deepest pockets on the planet buying. And that's uh, central banks, most notably China. And I do like to point out that Saif Adin Amos did point out in his book, the Bitcoin standard at some point. Central banks will be buying uh, Bitcoin. We'll see that. But it, it's um, all tilting that way at some point. Terrence, Andrew. Uh, yeah, real quick. So I think um, if you look at the price of Bitcoin and the volatility and the spot price, it's damp number one. The price has been grinding up uh, pretty aggressively, but it's been a grind. It's not like going up twenty percent in a day, like in the good old days. And then number two, the volatility is dampened. Separately, if you look at derivatives, um, at least on the CME listed futures and options for. Bitcoin, just week over week, the volume's gone down some, uh, although open interest is mostly flatter up. I'm going to go to you, then I want to ask Ruder a question, just asking about just kind of an update on the Solana ecosystem and L2s in general, especially with the ETH ETF narrative. So I'll have your thoughts on this, Ruder and, and Sean. Maybe I'd love you to jump in on that one as well. Uh, go ahead, Andrew. A phrase that, that Hunter used a couple minutes ago that went by quickly and probably a lot of people don't understand, the phrase is solicited access. And I guarantee you that Hunter and his team and every other uh, Bitcoin ETF team is very, very focused on solicited access. And here's why. Um, when you're a financial advisor, it's like being a lawyer. If you break even the smallest and tiniest of rule, you can immediately get fired and your career is over, okay? So the idea that, for example, Bitcoin ETFs are in some way, shape, or form available on Merrill Lynch's platform in an unsolicited way, they might as well not be available at all because what you're doing, if you have a client that buys something like that in an unsolicited way and it goes wrong, they can immediately file a complaint against you and the default mechanism for, for uh, organizations like Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, or UBS or Morgan Stanley is, we're going to fire this advisor and get rid of him and we'll deal with the complaint after the fact and you know send some to pay out and, and deal with it. Solicited versus unsolicited access is a major, major, major point when it comes to wealth management. The other thing I wanted to say just about Bitcoin in general, it is very, very difficult to be anything but bullish short-term, medium-term, and long-term. Short-term is the having. Medium-term is consistent opening of the wealth management TradFi world to these Bitcoin ETFs. In other words, scale of Bitcoin purchases. And then long-term, you're now talking about hard money and what is the next black swan event that could prove 
uh, you know, Bitcoin's thesis on a longer term basis associated with supply and demand. Um, are, you watching, are you watching the, the Bitcoin ETF inflows while we're talking about this? Correct. I mean, there's, been a, there's been a billion dollars today. Correct. I mean, correct. The days, the yeah, days it, two hours old. There's been a billion dollars in inflows already today. That that's that's the point about the short. Is that is that is that? Hold on, uh, Ryan, Ryan. Is that in net inflows? That's net inflows. There's a billion dollars Tr- trading 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 volume. Uh, inflows won't won't print until after the close of the market. Uh, okay, the trading volume. Okay, I thought I thought there was yeah, inflows. Billion, billion, yeah, billion, billion in two hours would be insane. Um, I think like the numbers we'll be seeing recently are like 200, 100 and something, 200, maybe 300 and something million a day. So a billion is a bit, bit of a shock. Yeah, um, there isn't a there isn't a slowdown. Is the point there is there is a continued measured movement up in inflows and volumes, and that is again in the ETF space. This is this is remarkable stuff, right? We're seeing. Assets from other ETF classes are being reduced. Gold, there is, you know, and and a, a constant increase in flows and volumes associated with Bitcoin ETFs. And again, the point needs to be made: this stuff is not readily available to probably the larger population that this uh, these products were created for, which is wealth management clients. It's it's not even readily available to them. So it's. It really is a remarkable story. I, I put out a tweet late last week that we're getting to a point that the you know the the 2024 potential big story um, is not Nvidia, but it's you know it's Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin ETFs. It's really remarkable to watch right now. Talk, talking about Nvidia, we will discuss AI in a bit. We've got Mohammed uh, on stage, but just kind of talking about L2s and, and Solana as well. We haven't talked about Solana in a while. Ruder, it's good to have you, man. How are you? Hey, great to, great to be Pleasure's here. Ours. Yeah, we'd love an update on the Solana ecosystem and L2s in general and the ETH narratives. You know, ETH has been doing pretty well over the last few days. Yeah, um, I mean, the Solana ecosystem continues to grow. It continues to perform really well. Um, I think last month there was like some issues, but generally in the last year, there, there's been like really, really good uptime. Um, you know, very different from the the narrative that was spun out of things last year. Um, actually, it was quite interesting. Just recently, uh, Avalanche went down, I think, last week and last week. And all people could talk about was how Solana used to go down. Um, so I think people kind of won't let go of that. Um, but yeah, I think generally um, the direction is kind of clear to me, at least, which is that more and more activity will move towards... Um, away from like Ethereum mainnet, more towards L2s and other L1s like Solana. Um, and even then, I think Solana is still like probably in the best position to take on a lot of those inflows, especially since like fees are actually really, really cheap there. And on L2s, they still cost like tens or even thirties of cents. But on Solana, they're still under one cent and super fast. And is there any L2s? I'm just looking at the top L2s uh, based on TVL. We've got Arbitrum, number one, Polygon, Optimism, uh, and they got Manta. Oh shit, Manta's number four, and five is base. Um, you know, congrats to Manta, and uh, we're big supporters of Manta. I didn't know they got to number four. Um, any L2s that are of interest to you as well, and maybe talk about the L2 narrative and the ETH narratives with the with the ETH ETF potentially coming in this year. Mario, I think more important than the yeah, ETH ETF is the Coinbase is the uh, Ethereum upgrade, the Dencoin upgrade, which is four eight four four. 
which is going to reduce L2 fees by 90%, L2 fees on Ethereum by 90%. And I think that's when you're going to get a real uh, uh, L2 rally because... What, what do you think that means? What do you think that means for L1s? Oh, shit, cutting out. Uh, so you, you're literally I, talking... I can't, I can't mute him. All right, so you got to... Uh, and that's how you got to remove Rand from co-host, please. I can't mute him because he's co-host. It's a mistake co-hosting Rand. Isn't it, Nast? All right, he's, he's not talking now. Uh, Ruder, Rand, when you're back, I've got a question for you. Just talk whenever you're back and your connection is working. Uh, Ruder, what do you think that upgrade would yep. mean and value that same question to you as well? What do you think that upgrade would mean to Solana and other L1s? Well, I mean, first off, uh, for other L2s that are up and coming, so Blast just uh, completed a hackathon. Uh, There's a really big hackathon where they had like a ton of people uh, submit projects. And a really big reason for that is because, as you know, they have like over a billion dollars in TVL from users farming points, but they reserved half of the points for uh, developers. And they're giving out like a ton of those points to uh, projects that build on top. So, yeah, they just wrapped that up and a lot of projects are just getting off the ground now. So I think that's also one to watch out for. Their general narrative is like, it's the uh, L2 for NFTs. Um, and then, sorry, what was your question about like the... Uh, the, the, Ethereum the Ethereum upgrade, what, what that means, you know, with fees dropping by 90% for L2s, what would that mean for other L1s, Solana and other L1s? Um, I, I think like even with a 90% up, uh, drop in fees, Solana fees are kind of like 100 times lower. So I think... Um, you know, it, it would still be, it, it wouldn't change uh, the Solana story too much. Um, it's still a really great place to build apps and use apps on. But, you know, potentially it, it could help uh, other L2s be, you know, more in the in the running. Value. I would love to get your thoughts on the discussion. We'll go to Sean afterwards and then we'll dig into a, a few AI updates with Muhammad. Value. Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, I saw the title, so I felt, uh, you know, a call to come in. I just wanted to uh, reiterate. Uh, the uh, about the inflows, right? So you got about uh, what 900 Bitcoin being minted right now a day it comes out rounding up to let's just say 50 million bucks. Um, and then I think someone, I guess the guy from Bitwise said you got like what uh, a couple billion, but at least every day it's been about like 500 million coming in every single day. But I think what I don't know if you guys covered it or not, Mario, and thanks for having me up is like if you think about the actual supply of Bitcoin that's trading, it's really only about 10% of the entire supply because 80% of it has been dormant for uh give or take a year or so eight months to a year so you got all these products these these new products that you guys know of being launched uh supporting all these cash inflows into bitcoin but really only 10 10 percent of the supply of trading and then you know upcoming you got that turning into a half that's being minted into 450 bitcoin a day so i mean if you do the math i mean whether you're looking short term midterm long term i mean it's only going to continue to happen you know so uh all-time high before uh, before the halving i mean that's a push I mean, I think we can see anywhere from like five trillion and up, obviously, like a lot of you guys do. But I just wanted to put that out there if you guys didn't know. I would love your thoughts on either the discussion with Ruder or just talking about the the uh, the market in general and the inflows that we're seeing from the ETFs. Good to have you, Sean. Sean, you there? Oh, perfect. Hey there. How are you? Thanks for having me. Pleasure, man. Sorry, I missed the question. Question is, you know, your thoughts on the market in general. Um, my initial question was going to be about the the alt, uh, you know, the, the rotation we're seeing into the alts right now, and the L twos and L ones narrative, especially with the ETH ETF coming in and the ETH upgrade as well. Um, and then value came in and talked about the inflows that we're seeing, um, and the market in general. So we'd love your thoughts on both topics. 
yeah, that, that's probably out of my realm of expertise, to be honest with you. Oh, good sure. Any thoughts on the market in general, or either also that one's outside your realm of expertise? Probably outside my realm. Uh, just to give you some background, my, my experience has been with uh, primarily with Ripple and XRP. Uh, so I'm on, on mostly on the business side. Uh, I spent most of my career in, in uh, on the business side with uh, with Google and and Amazon and, and Ripple. So I'm I'm happy to answer any questions on on that side of things. Yeah, we weren't, weren't planning to talk about Ripple today. We could do a Ripple-specific space, but maybe an update on the Ripple ecosystem. You were the talk of town with uh, winning the case a few months ago. It's maybe just an update on Ripple. I haven't been following it too closely, so I can't ask any specific questions. Um, so a quick update there, and then we'll go to Muhammad to talk AI. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Ripple right now is the uh, the ETP that was uh, recently launched by Valor in, uh, in Sweden. Uh, 18% increase there. With over a half a billion uh, inflows, um, that's an 18% increase uh, since they launched. So, 590 million dollars uh, into that ETP. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's that's some positive signals there. Um, also, uh, some recent news: uh, Binance lawyers just uh, just mentioned that Gensler uh, propositioned them to be. Uh, uh, on their team, uh, which is which is interesting. So, uh, some some very interesting news coming coming on. Uh, can you explain, so, so, can you explain the, the Gensler commission who to be on whose team? Uh, Binance. Uh, he he wanted to uh, he wanted to be on uh, Binance as a as, as an advisor. Uh, you talk about the story, but that was a few years ago, correct? 2019. Yeah, 2019. Oh, okay, that was confirmed by who? Finance lawyers. Oh, wow, okay. Because we were talking about this. We called it a rumor back then a few months ago. Didn't know that was confirmed by Finance lawyers. Finance oh, cool. lawyers gonna... yesterday confirmed it. Oh, well, I missed that story. And definitely worth a tweet. Um, and let me, let me go to Mohammed because I do have to wrap as well. And Scott is not here today. We'll be back tomorrow. And Mohammed, uh, you know, <laughs> NVIDIA kind of uh, got the entire market to pump the... the uh, the decentralized AI ecosystem to, to completely blow up. Now, Rand did talk about us potentially reaching the peak, I think 90% in, into the bull market, so probably a 10% left a few weeks or, or maybe a, a couple of months left um, in this AI bull run. We'd love to get your thoughts on the ecosystem in general and um, whether we are reaching potentially reaching a peak. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So usually... Yeah, right, can you, hear can you me? guys hear Muhammad? Is it glitching for me again? Can anyone hear Muhammad? Dave, Mike, that's, that's... Can you hear me? I can ah, hear cool, you. cool. Yeah, right, I'll, I'll go quiet. I can't hear you, Muhammad. So I, I, okay. uh, when he's done, Dave, just let us know when Muhammad's done because I can't hear him. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. So with every bull market, there's usually like a narrative that brings a lot of new people into the space. Like the last bull run, we had NFTs, for instance. And in this one, I think AI is going to be one of the main narratives. And like you said, uh, NVIDIA has been booming like crazy, which is really unique because now the thing that's booming in TradFi and one of the main narratives in crypto is the same thing, like has AI in it. And yeah, there have been a lot of like new exciting projects, like if you've heard about like BitTensor, for instance, that have been very, very, very popular. But the mature projects have not uh, materialized yet. They're still like all very early stage. So I think we're far from the peak of the AI bull market, but it might just like not coincide with the other things that are happening in the space. It might not 
be at same at the Bitcoin peak, for instance, but the AI peak, I think, is like a long, long time away. All right, he just finished. I talking. appreciate it. Cool. I didn't hear any of the updates. I'm going to listen to the recording, see what he has said, Mohammed. I hope it's. Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be bullish, uh, but I'll listen to the to to the recap. Otherwise, we'll see everyone tomorrow. I think we've covered the the. This is not too much going on today, beyond just uh, speculating on the market and the pre halving rally. So Scott will be back tomorrow, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll face less glitches. Then appreciate everyone else for joining. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.